If we haven't met, my name is Laurel. I am one of the ministers here, and I am so happy to be worshiping with you this morning, especially during the most wonderful time of the year. It's Christmas time. I can hardly believe it. I'm still way behind on all things Christmas shopping and crafting, but it's true. Christmas is here, and that means that we are in our Christmas series here at FCC. This year, we've been walking through this series that we're calling, Do You Hear What I Hear? And it's a play on the Christmas song of the same name, and also on the fact that around this time of year, Christmas music is all around us all the time. And a lot of these songs have really powerful theological ideas embedded in them, but we tend to miss that because it's background music, or we've heard it so many times that we've stopped paying attention. But what happens when we really listen? What do we hear? And that's what we're doing in this series. Which reminds me of an experience I had just recently. I was talking to my mom about this sermon and a passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah that I was planning on using, and my mom said, Oh yeah, I love that passage. You should know it well since you've heard it every Christmas Eve of your life. And I was like, what? And she said, don't you remember? And you know, well, apparently not. And she told me every Christmas Eve before dinner, my great grandfather would read aloud Isaiah nine, two through seven. You may have heard it before. It's the one that starts with, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And then when my great-grandfather passed away, my great-uncle continued the tradition. But we always read it. And suddenly I did remember. I remember someone reciting something every year, but I'd forgotten what it was. I was so caught up in all the bu Christmas busyness and all the happenings at that party each year that I wasn't really listening. So I didn't hear it, and I didn't remember. I actually kind of wish I could remember it better because it sounds like a really beautiful tradition. And in this series, that's what we're doing. We are taking the time to really listen. Specifically, we are taking time to listen to the songs that surround us each year, because if we really listen, there are some deep messages of hope and love and joy and peace that I know I really need to be reminded of, and maybe you do too. The song that we're going to be listening to today is one of my very favorites. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And you'd think with a title like that, the song would just kind of be a lot of manger scene descriptions or about how quaint and undeserving Bethlehem was to be the set of such a miracle as this. That there would be descriptions of straw and animals, the trough and the shepherds, but that's not really the song at all. There are some bold claims in this song, and they're really beautiful and profound. Let's consider some of the lyrics. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Okay, so there's a little bit of Bethlehem is a quaint little town here. If you've seen Beauty and the Beast, it's very little town. It's a quiet village. 
Let's look at the next bit. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. And here come the deep theological ideas. Yet in the dark, quiet streets shines the everlasting light. There are echoes of the Isaiah 9 passage I mentioned earlier. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Matthew says that this passage applies to Jesus, where he writes, Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The light imagery in a little town of Bethlehem is also consistent with other light imagery that's present throughout the New Testament and that's frequently used to describe Jesus. Like, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We know what it means to live in darkness to go through a dark time, to be in a dark place. Some of you here this morning might even be in a dark place right now. And darkness is the absence of light. So you know what it means to say that Jesus is light in the darkness. And in this verse, the song is saying that because of Jesus, dark places are illuminated. The dark places in our world, the dark places in our cities, the dark places in our homes, the dark places in our minds and hearts. That is said so simply and beautifully in this song, and I've never noticed it before. And the next line in the song is even more beautiful. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Another line I've never really paid much attention to. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've been singing this song my entire life without having a clue what that even means. It's an odd line, isn't it? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. There's a positive thing, hope, and a negative thing, fear. And the song is saying that they both meet in Jesus. But can hope and fear even exist in the same place? And how do all the hopes and fears meet in one baby? And of course, what are the hopes and fears of all the years? Well, honestly, that's what the rest of the song is about. This is the line that essentially summarizes the rest of the song. The whole song is about all these different hopes. And we've already seen one of those hopes, right? We just talked about it, light in darkness. So if light is the first hope, what's another one? Well, let's take a look at verse two. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King, and peace to all on earth. 
The big hope in the second verse is peace. The lyrics talk about Christ, who is the presence of God among us forever. The angels keeping watch over Jesus, who is love and peace to all on earth. But what is peace exactly? The Old Testament has a really beautiful understanding of peace that that passage from the book of Isaiah I mentioned earlier illustrates perfectly, so I'm finally gonna share it with you. Isaiah 9, two through seven reads, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This passage is from the prophet Isaiah. And prophets tell people about the kinds of things that God does. All the kinds of things that God does, God does in Jesus. And in this passage, it paints a powerful picture of peace, which is obviously the hope that the prophet Isaiah had. It promises light in darkness. So there's that first hope again. It talks about the end of slavery, the end of war, and not just for now, but forever. It talks about burning the uniforms of their army because they don't need them anymore. You don't do that unless you are confident that you are never going to war again. And then it talks about a ruler who will be the prince of peace, who will reign with peace and fairness and justice forever. This is big peace. It's more than just the absence of distressing things. It's peace in our minds and hearts, so the end of anxiety and depression and other mental health struggles. It's peace in our relationships, in our families, so everyone knows they belong. It's global peace, so no more war, no more violence, no more racism, no more hunger and disease. The peace that we're talking about here is a sense of wholeness and security, when all is as it should be. I can think of a few times when I've experienced big peace, but one that comes to mind in this context is when I'm with my small group. I'm with people I really trust. When I need prayer, they pray with me. When I'm scared, they comfort me. If I was in trouble, they would help me. There's no judgment, we laugh a lot, and I know that I'm safe and I'm wanted. That sense of peace 
is close to the kind of peace we're talking about here. So peace is another one of the hopes of all the years. Let's keep looking for more hopes as we walk through this song. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. It seems to me that the hope here is the indwelling of Christ, Christ in us, because it talks about God giving us these gifts of heaven for our hearts and our meek souls despite the sinful world that we live in. It reminds me of a passage from the book of Colossians that talks about the indwelling of Christ. Colossians 1, 26 through 29 reads, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's the hope that the song is talking about, Christ in us. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The indwelling of Christ means that Jesus is with us always and that all we do for him and his glory, we also do through him through Christ working in us so that as we labor for him, he is with us every step of the way. So Christ in us is the third hope. Let's look at the last verse of O Little Town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. The hope here seems to be new life. The new life that comes from the forgiveness of sins, from rebirth, from redemption and reconciliation. In Jesus, we are reconciled to God. It's as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then of course, there's John 3. Where Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then in verses 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, we're made new. We are born again. We have resurrection life and we are reconciled to God. Death has lost. 
Those are the hopes of old little town of Bethlehem. Light in the darkness, peace in a broken world, Christ in us, and new life instead of death. These are the hopes of all the years that are met in Jesus. I wonder, are these your hopes? Anyone else here have these hopes? Does anyone need a little light in the darkness? Anyone feeling the brokenness and the chaos swirling around them and in need of peace? The big peace that we talked about earlier? Is anyone feeling trapped and alone and need the presence of Christ? Anyone need a new life, a fresh start, a reset button? But if those are the hopes, what are the fears? Because the song says that all the hopes and all the fears are met in thee tonight. So, what are the fears? Well, here's the thing. Hope never shows up without fear. You can't hope for something while also fearing that it will not come to pass. I wish that wasn't true, but if that was the case, we wouldn't be talking about hope, we'd be talking about certainty. So we can't hope that something will happen without being afraid that it won't. So logically, it follows that the fears are the opposite of the hopes. And the fears here are that God is not with us, that there is only darkness, that there is no peace, so war will never end and we're stuck in our mental health struggles with no way out, that we have no home, that we are not wanted, that we're stuck in our sin, the sin which separates us from God, that death wins and God has abandoned us. That's the fear. Is anyone here carrying fears with them this morning? Where hope and fear meet is the moment of action. You study for a test with hope that you'll do well, but also fear that you won't. And hope and fear meet when you take the test. You train and practice for an athletic event or recital, again, hoping you'll win the game or you'll nail your routine, but also with fear that you'll lose or that you'll fall. And hope and fear meet when you step out onto the field or onto the stage. For me, I do something called aerial silks, which if you don't know what that is, it's this interesting mix of acrobatics and dance that you do on this long silk that hangs from the ceiling. And one of the most entertaining things that you do on these silks is something called drops, which is when you wrap the silk around you a certain way so that when you let go, you fall for a moment and then you're caught by the silks. And although I know what I'm doing, Hope and fear still meet every time I do a drop. I hope that I've wrapped everything correctly and that when I release the lock on my drop, I will hit the catch. But there's always a slight fear that I'm gonna fall straight to the ground. Hope and fear meet the moment I let go. It looks like this. 
Yeah. So hope and fear meet every time I do a drop because hope and fear meet at the moment of action. And according to this song, hope and fear meet in Jesus. Jesus is the moment of action, the moment of God's action. So, what is it that you are hoping for? And consequently, what are you afraid will never be? What are your hopes and fears? Think about that for a minute. What do you hope will happen but are afraid never will? And while you're thinking about it, I would like to tell you about how hope and fear met recently for my sister because her hopes and fears are very similar to the ones highlighted in O Little Town of Bethlehem. She also hoped for light in the darkness, for peace, for a fresh start. But first, let me back up and tell you about one of my hopes from when I was a little girl. When I was six years old, I asked my mom and dad for a sister for Christmas. I was an only child. I had always wanted a sister to play with, which, side note, for the longest time, I thought that the term was lonely child instead of only child. So that's what I told people I was, a lonely child. Anyway, my parents responded to my request for a sister by getting me a dog. Now, don't get me wrong, I am a dog person. I love dogs, but I didn't ask for a dog. A dog and a sister are not the same thing. So I said to my parents, thank you for the dog, but what I asked for was a sister. Nevertheless, an only child I remained for 25 years. I have finally gotten the sister I asked for. Her name is Kelly, and she gave me permission to share a little bit of her story. Kelly's childhood was unstable and tumultuous. She grew up being given away repeatedly over and over again. However, despite all of that, even as a child, she believed she wasn't alone. She truly trusted that God was with her, which is where her hope came from. Her hope for a family, for belonging, for peace, for home, for a new life. Despite all odds, Kelly grew up, went to college and graduate school, and became both a beloved librarian and a talented interior designer. However, she did so without the support of a home base. Yet, she held on to hope. Eventually, Kelly met our mom through our home church, and it was the beginning of a beautiful and deep relationship with both of our parents that grew over the course of two years. Then earlier this year, Kelly and her children needed a place to live while she was building her home. My parents offered, she accepted, and they all began living together at our parents' house. And because she held on to hope, eventually, Kelly began calling my mom and dad Aunt Kat and Uncle Mark. And then, with time, as God worked and healed and made things new, over the course of many months, she eventually called them Mama and Daddy, like me, and our parents were overjoyed. 
But hope never shows up without fear. And if you've been moved from one family to another your entire childhood, it would be pretty hard to believe that a family was truly permanent once you had one. Kelly hoped that this family would last, but she deeply feared that if she did anything that displeased us, we would withdraw our love as others before us had. So we decided to make things official and seal our promise with a covenant, a contract that we all signed on Kelly's birthday. And in this contract that we all signed, we claimed Kelly as daughter, as sister, forever. Afterward, in a note that she sent to our parents, she wrote, I woke up this morning with a sense of peace that I have never had. I am so grateful for what God has done. She woke up to light, to big peace, to a new home. I finally have the sister I have always hoped for, and I am so proud to call her as such. She and her children are as much of a blessing to us as we are to them. And look at this. My whole life, there have only been three stockings, and then we added a fourth when Sam and I got married. But look at our mantle now. So much more than we could ask or imagine. When I was talking to Kelly about this sermon and she was reflecting on her own story, she said, when hope and fear meet, at some point, you have to decide which one you're gonna listen to, hope or fear. Throughout Kelly's entire life, she continued to decide that hope was going to be louder. And she says that when fear got really loud, Jesus continued to show up for her through the kindness of others, until she found her way home to us. And because of Jesus, when hope and fear met, Kelly's hopes were realized. She hoped that God would intervene, and God did. She hoped for a real home, and she has it. She hoped for true peace, and she finds more every day. And she hoped for new life. And because of Jesus, she has a fresh start. But all of this is possible because first, Jesus showed up in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. On the night Jesus was born, hope and fear met in Bethlehem. They were face to face. They got to know one another. And when hope and fear meet in the person of Jesus, the hope is that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he will accomplish all that God intended for him to accomplish, that he is sufficient for us, that we have forgiveness of sins and a God who loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. Death loses and hope wins. And the fear is the opposite, that Jesus is a fraud that he will fail to accomplish God's work. Death and sin keep their grip on us, and fear wins. Author C.S. Lewis summarized this perfectly when he wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people, people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or 
else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Hope and fear meet in the person of Jesus. Either he was and is all that he said he was, and he accomplishes God's great rescue mission for us, or he's a fraud and God has abandoned us. Hope and fear met in Bethlehem that night. The hopes of hundreds of years of unmet prophecies met the hundreds of years of fear that they would never be fulfilled. And let me tell you what happened. God kept God's promise. God did send us the everlasting light of God's presence. God did send the anointed one who would break the yoke of slavery and lift the heavy burden from our shoulders. God did send the son who is wonderful counselor, who guides us with wisdom and compassion, who is the mighty God who goes before us. The everlasting father did send the son who loves us so much, he was willing to die for us, who will never leave us and who always has room in his home for more who is the Prince of Peace. God did send us a king who is seated on the throne right now this morning, ruling with fairness and justice now and forevermore. Fear has lost, hope has won. And most beautifully, God is with us. We are not alone, not ever. So really, we have nothing to fear. That's what I hear when I hear a little town of Bethlehem. I hear that hope and fear met, God was faithful, fear evaporated, and hope was realized. That's what I hear. Hope and fear met, God was faithful, fear evaporated, and hope was realized. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, Hear this. This is what happens when hope and fear meet in Jesus. Fear loses and hope is realized. So, did you think about what it is that you're hoping for? What are you hoping for in your deepest heart of hearts? Maybe it's been so long you can't quite bring yourself to hope. So maybe it's easier to ask it this way. What are you afraid of? And what would it look like for that fear to disappear? Because that's your hope. What would it look like for that fear to be replaced by hope rising in your heart as bright as the sun, outshining everything else? Jesus is hope.
and light in the darkness. That's why my great-grandfather read that verse from Isaiah to me every Christmas Eve. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And for those who live in deep darkness, a light will shine. That's what I hear when I hear a little town of Bethlehem. Do you hear what I hear? Hope and fear meet when we meet Jesus. When we show up before Jesus, hope and fear come together. As we enter into communion, if you don't have elements, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will gladly bring them to you. Online folks, now is a great time to head to the kitchen and grab crackers and juice or whatever you might have available as a substitute. The communion table is the meeting place between hope and fear. As we were discussing this sermon, Ethan said that every fear you fear today is a twisted reflection of a hope that you hope. Think about that. All of your fears are just distorted hopes. And the place where they all meet is in front of Jesus. Some of you are more afraid than hopeful this morning, and if that's the case, that's okay. And if that's where you're leaning this morning toward fear, I want you to know that when God became human in the person of Jesus Christ, that was God telling you that as you wrestle with the decision between hope and fear, God is reaching out for you and always will. God is for you and God will never stop pursuing you. As the Apostle Paul wrote, God is faithful even when we are faithless. So what are your hopes today? Let's bring them to the table. Every hope you may have may not be fulfilled in this life, but Jesus is the fulfillment of all your hopes and Jesus is the answer to all of your fears. So put your hope in him because all fear has died and been nailed to the cross. Hope has won, fear has lost, God is here. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup saying, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Bow with me. God, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. For the fact that fear has lost and hope has won and that you are here. Help us to remember that this Christmas. To live as if that's true. We love you and we ask these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is alive right now this morning. Amen.